from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Gospel of John, the first chapter, verses 43 to 51. Continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open this uh, ancient word afresh to us this day so that we'd be changed, so that we would hear a word from you a word that we need, a word that shapes us, a word that is not necessarily the word we want, but the word we need to hear. So would you speak through this text? And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A mother was tucking her elementary age son into bed. As was their custom, she would read a story from his children's Bible each and every night. It was part of their nighttime routine. And on that particular night, she read a story from the Old Testament, the story of the call of Samuel, the story we just heard Addie read for us this morning. She included the story the same way that Addie did, reading Samuel's words in response to hearing the voice of God, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. She read that line and then she closed the children's Bible and, and she offered the prayer that she offered each and every night as part of that bedtime routine. When she said amen, her boy gently reached for her hand and said, mom, can I ask you a question? She said, of course, honey, what is it? He said, Mom, when will God call me the way that God called Samuel? When will God call me the way that God called Samuel? The question caught her very much off guard, even as it resonated with her own faith and, 
and what she was contemplating in her own life during that time. You see, she was a regular worshiper and a deacon at her church, but in those days, she seemed to have more doubt than faith. She seemed to have more questions than answers. In those days, she had a hard time sensing God's presence in her life, let alone seeing God's work in and around her. Her spiritual well, as they say, uh, ran dry. If God was speaking, she seemed to be deaf to that word. Her marriage had hit a, a rough patch. Her uh, anxiety was creeping in ever so slightly. She was trying to discern whether to return uh, to work or to continue to stay at home. And in her child's question, in her boy's question, she could hear her own voice. She could hear herself asking the same thing. When will God speak to me? When will God speak a word that heals my marriage? When will God speak a word that lifts me up out of this anxiety? When will God speak a word that provides wisdom and clarity and discernment around my vocation and purpose outside of the home? Even within this sort of millisecond while she was thinking all of these things, she also began to marvel at her son's question. She was very much attuned as to that which was implicit in that question because in his question was revealed a hope, a truth that the boy carried, that God will indeed speak to him the way that God spoke to Samuel. He believed that God would actually speak. His question wasn't, Mom, uh, is God going to speak to me the way that God spoke to Samuel? His question wasn't that. His question is, when will God do it? You see, embedded in his question was the expectation that God still speaks, that God still moves and in the faith of a child, there is this optimism and hope that God would speak to him the same way. When will it happen? Not will it happen, but when will it happen? She sensed that hope in that question, and it began to build a hope in her, even as she said, son, sometimes it's really hard to hear God's voice. Sometimes it feels as if God is not speaking or not active or not present. And in those times, I think what we need to do is to learn the prayer of Samuel, to recite that prayer. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And that very night, they redid the prayer at the boy's request. And they added that line, and each and every night subsequent to that one, they prayed the prayer, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I want to name something that is undeniably true for the person of faith, for the friend of God, for the follower of Jesus Christ. There are some seasons in our journey, some seasons in our faith and our life when we doubt that God is present when we doubt that God is in our midst, when we doubt that God is active. There are seasons in life 
There are seasons in faith when it's really hard to hear God's voice. There are seasons when we will even contemplate God's non-existence. There will be times when we feel led to conclude that this is all a fiction. And if this is a fiction, then there's nothing to see and there's nothing to hear. Even saints like Mother Teresa have have walked this dark and challenging road. They've gone through this type of spiritual turmoil. She wrote in her journal, in my soul I feel just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me, of God not being God, of God not really existing. Many of us have, have written similar words in our journals. Many of us have prayed similar prayers. Many of us have known such struggles. And this is not far off from the biblical experience. We've, we heard it even today in the text that Addie read for us, that in 1 Samuel, the writer wants us to know that at the time of this account, God's activity and God's voice seemed to be dormant. The writer says that God was not speaking in those days and and visions from God were not widespread. I love the Bible's honesty time and time again, and we see it here in 1 Samuel. It's honesty in saying that there will be times, there will be seasons when it seems as if God is quiet, where visions aren't widespread. And in those seasons, and I, I've been in those seasons, and perhaps you've been in those seasons, perhaps you're in one of those seasons right now. In those times, I never want to lose the hope that God will speak, that God will break the silence, that I'll be able to see that the scales will fall from my eyes, the scales will fall from your eyes. In the words of Nathaniel, come and see, that we'll be able to come and see, we'll be able to come and hear God speaking and God moving and God acting. And so this morning, the first invitation I have for each and every one of us is this, that we would make the prayer of Samuel our prayer. That even if we're going through a season of silence, a season where we cannot see God's activity, that we would commit to praying the prayer that Samuel prayed. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That it would be part of our routine. That it would be part of our spiritual discipline, our spiritual practice each and every day. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That we would have the hope of that young boy not asking the question, will God speak? But rather asking the question, when will God speak? Expecting God to show up even if it's silent, even if it's dark, even if God's activity is really hard to see right now. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. The second invitation I want to offer requires us to go back to this text from 1 Samuel, delve a little bit deeper into its context to get an understanding of what was happening and then let it speak to us in our time. As I've already said, the writer uh, writes in 1 Samuel, in those days, in those days, the word of God was rare. In those days, the word of God was rare. 
the writer of the book of Judges, this is in Judges 21 to 25, is also a contemporary of the writer of Samuel. It's describing uh, the same exact time that all of this is happening with Eli and Samuel and this word from God. The writer of Judges describes the religious and moral climate of the time within this account as that which being a place or a time rather where people did what was right in their own eyes where people did what was right in their own eyes. There was a certain measure of moral relativism during the time of Eli and Samuel. And this uh, moral relativism was motivated by self-interest and was motivated by self-preservation. And Eli, this character that we're introduced to in this text, Eli is the chief priest at Shiloh. And Shiloh was the location, was the city where people gathered for worship before the temple would be built in Jerusalem. And Eli, the chief priest at Shiloh, seemed to epitomize the moral relativism of the time. You see, Eli's sons, who were also priests, were told within this text, uh, within this story, Eli's sons acted with wicked intent. They were priests who indulged and consumed in the meat, in the animals that were sacrificed to the Lord. They would take the good portions of the meat, they would fill their stomachs with it, even though that was against the Torah, that the, the animals that were sacrificed would be, would be sacrificed for God's glory, for worship of God. They would take that and eat the meat. The writer also says that they were rapists, that they were adulterers, and the word that is used in Hebrew to describe them is the word scoundrel. They were scoundrel, these two sons. Scoundrels who abused their power as it related to the maintenance of divine worship and neglected their duty of care for the people of God. And Eli didn't say a word. He was complicit in his silence to their lawlessness and their blasphemy. This, of course, grieved the heart of God. What also grieved God was, was, was the fact that Eli himself was silent, that Eli did not fulfill his duties, that he did not hold them accountable. And yet the story focuses our attention on Eli's fidelity. Stay with me here for a second. Even in the midst of his infidelity, the writer wants to elevate his faithfulness in this one particular way. He was faithful in bringing the boy Samuel under his tutelage. He was faithful in bringing this young boy who was dedicated by his mother Hannah to the work of the Lord. He had invested in this boy's life. He invested in his leadership. He invested in his spiritual life as he taught him the ways of God and taught him the Torah. And so we have this really interesting juxtaposition around the character Eli, right? In one hand, he's disobedient, he's complicit in his silence, he doesn't speak out against his sons, and yet on the other hand, he's faithful to God by investing in the faith of this boy named Samuel. So in this story, we see Eli's humanity on full display, right? This resonates with us. He does the wrong thing and he does the right thing. He's disobedient and he is 
obedient. He is full of strengths and full of weaknesses. He is like many of us, getting some stuff right and some stuff wrong. And it's all wrapped up in Eli. And I think as part of the challenge of this text is that we have to see this also all wrapped up in us. That we are faithful at times and we are unfaithful at other times. That we are obedient at times and disobedient at other times. It's not just wrapped up in Eli, it's wrapped up in all of us. Again, turning back to the text, 1 Samuel 3. The writer lets us know that that God's word was rare in those days. Visions from God were not widespread, as I've already mentioned. So when Samuel, right, when Samuel was, was 12 or 13 years old, when he hears his name on three occasions in the middle of the night be called, he goes to his teacher Eli thinking that his mentor has called him. And he asks, did you call me? And on the first two occasions, Eli says, no, I didn't call you, son. Go back to bed. After a third time, Eli, again, who is far from perfect, actually has the sense to discern that it may actually be God speaking to this boy. He actually has a sense, his own faith builds the sense that perhaps it's God actually speaking to this child. And so he instructs him to go back to bed and that if he hears his name called again, that he should get up and say, speak, Lord your servant is listening. And so Samuel goes back to bed, and this time, this time, he is awakened from his sleep by the very presence of God and the voice of God calling his name. And Samuel responds, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now, Addie ended the reading right there like she was supposed to because that was the end of the lectionary text. But if you go on in this story, something remarkable happens. Because if you keep reading, what you find out is that the word God wants to speak to Samuel is actually a word of judgment against his mentor. It's actually a word of judgment that he wants him to speak against Eli, who's turned a blind eye to the lawlessness and immorality of his sons. God was speaking to Samuel so that Samuel would speak God's word in rebuke of his mentor, Eli. I mean, think about this. Samuel's call is wrapped up in a prophetic word of rebuke for his own teacher, the man who had been instructing him, the man who invested in his faith and his, in his life. One of the most stunning features of this story, and this is a truism in our faith, is that in Eli's obedience, right? In Eli's obedience to God, in nurturing Samuel in the faith, Eli actually creates the conditions for his own disobedience to be exposed. I mean, think about that, right? It's Eli's faithfulness that opens up the possibility for him to be confronted in his infidelity. Eli, remember, was the one who said, go back to bed and be attentive to God's word. And when God speaks your name, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Little did he know that the word God would speak to Samuel would be a rebuke and a reckoning of Eli's own failed leadership. Here is the poignant lesson. If we are actually investing 
in the faith of the next generation. If we're actually investing in the Samuels of our lives and in the life of the church, inviting them to commit their lives to the way of God, to come and see, as Nathaniel said in the gospel lesson, to follow Jesus Christ, friends, let us not be surprised then by the outcomes. If we're actually investing in the next generation, in the Samuels of our church, of our faith, of our life, then we should not be surprised by the outcomes. Methodist pastor and, and, and former chaplain at Duke University, Will Willimon, once preached about an encounter he had with the father of a graduating student at Duke. The father called Willimon's office enraged and he exploded over the phone. He began by saying, I hold you personally responsible for this, Dr. Willimon. The father was angry, he went on to explain, because his graduate school-bound daughter had decided, in his own words, to, quote, throw it all away and go and do mission work in Haiti with the Presbyterian Church. The father shouted, is that not the most absurd thing you have ever heard, Dr. Willimon? She has a Bachelor of Science degree from Duke University, and she's going to dig ditches in Haiti. And Dr. Willimon, I hold you responsible for this. Will Willimon was not easily intimidated. He asked, why me? Why are you holding me responsible? And the father said, well, well you ingratiated yourself and filled her with, with all this religion stuff. And Dr. Willimon was quick to reply, sir, uh, weren't you the one who had her baptized? He said, yes, of course. What does that have to do with anything? Willimon said, and, and, and didn't you take her to Sunday school when, when she was a, a little girl? Well, of course I did. And didn't you allow your daughter to go on all those youth group ski trips to Colorado where she heard uh, preachers and speakers invite her to follow Jesus Christ when, when she was in high school? Yes, the father said, but, but what does that have to do with anything? Sir, Willimon said, you are the reason she's throwing it all away. You introduced her to Jesus, not me. But, said the father, all we really wanted was a Presbyterian. And Willimon replied, well, I'm sorry that you messed it up because what you have made is a Christian. What you've made is a Christian. Friends, in many ways, Eli, Eli I think, can be used as an analogy or, or, or perhaps a metaphor for the church. Like Eli, right? Like Eli, sometimes the vision of the church can be blurred. Sometimes the church finds itself in a season when God seems to be silent. And yet, like Eli, in our strengths and in our weaknesses, we keep making investments in the next generation. We keep baptizing, don't we? We keep praying over these children. We keep investing in them. We keep loving them. We, we, we keep moving toward the Samuels of this church. We keep inviting them to humbly follow Jesus Christ. Even as we do, even as we do that, let us not be surprised that they may answer God's call in such a way that seems absurd to us or radical 
or confuses us or perhaps even offends us when they call us out and when they rebuke us for our own hypocrisy and our own disobedience. This week I was reading an article in, in the New York Times. It was, it was a piece that was put together by the voices of young people as writers asked them to reflect on what took place at the Capitol on January the 6th. They were speaking about their hope for their country and their disappointment as to the violence and the rhetoric and the lies and the ways in which we are so antagonistic with one another. And to read these young people, to read their rebuke of us as a nation, to, to read their, their words of hope connected me to this very text because the same can be true about the church. Friends, the church finds itself at a crossroad. Who are we going to be in this time of great conflict, in this, great, in this time of great uncertainty? And I want to suggest to you that we need the voice of the young, of the next generation to speak into the life of the church. I wanna to suggest to you that we need to be more like Eli and invest in the Samuels of the world and give them the space to speak into the church, to speak words of rebuke, to say to us, pastor, I don't think we're faithfully following Jesus in this way, to say to leaders and to say to one another, that there's a better way for us to go, to give young people the space to speak into our life of faith and into the life of the church. And so here is my second invitation. My first invitation is to learn to pray the prayer, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. But the second invitation is this. It's very practical, very actionable. This week, do not let this week end without reaching out to a young person a grandchild, maybe it's a child living in your home, someone in the next generation, and ask them what they think about the church these days. Ask them what they think about our church, about the ways in which we are or aren't following the gospel of Jesus Christ. Allow their hope and even their rebuke to settle into our heart, and let's pay attention to them. Let's take them seriously. Reach out to somebody in the next generation and invite them to speak even the word of God into the life of our church, into your life. Because what we might find, what we might find is the very word that we need to hear. A word of hope that God will speak and a word of rebuke that says the church can do better when it comes to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that word, friends, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the very grace of God, that word may be the word that changes us, that calls us to repent and to be the church that we're called to be. Give space to Samuel and let Samuel speak God's word to you and to me. Amen. Thank you.